Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, got it, with instant analysis of WWE Clash of Champions Gold Rush. That's right, we are here just minutes after WWE Clash of Champions went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on WWE's latest pay-per-view. This is, of course, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. You can follow me on Twitter, at SilversteinAdam. And joining me, as always, for our WWE shows and for our instant analysis is none other than vintage Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. Chris, we have a lot to talk about coming out of Clash of Champions. Plenty of excitement, actually, uh, for WWE going forward here. Real quick, right off the top, how are you feeling tonight? Long weekend with a lot of football for us to consume. Are you exhausted or are you energized to talk WWE Clash of Champions? You know, I was exhausted, but that finish has me excited. We'll get into that in a second. But let me ask you something. You are a South Florida guy. Are, are, you, a, are you a Miami Heat fan? <laughs> I am the last thing that could be considered a Miami Heat fan. I am a New York Knicks fan. I think Pat Riley is a scumbag snake in the grass. And I would never, there, there is no team in the world that I would um, root for less. I, I don't even know how to, there, there is no, you could force me to root for a lot of other teams for one reason or another, but the two I would never root for in a million years are the Miami Heat and the Boston Red Sox. All righty, because right before we started, the Miami Heat won the Easter Conference Finals. Now I was going to say congrats to your Heat and wow. I've got, and I've got my Dallas Stars in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, but I guess that's, that's not the case. The Miami Heat? Zero point zero. That's how I feel. Go LeBron, go Lakers. Okay. Um, we got a lot of wrestling to talk about today. And the way we do that on these instant analysis shows is we crack a beer. It's late Sunday night, end of the week. We crack a beer. We talk professional wrestling. I'm not going to have that really cool uh, can sound effect for you today because I had a 32-ounce can that I needed to open, had to pour half of it into a glass, wanted to keep the other half cold. But I am drinking a Key Lime Lager from Due South Brewing, my favorite brewery. I am a club member. Yes, I'll get dorky with you and talk about craft beer for a moment. My favorite brewery here in South Florida, and it is Key Lime Week, or it was Key Lime Day on Saturday, whatever. It's a Florida thing. And this beer is absolutely delicious. I've already had a couple sips. Chris, what do you got with you tonight? I've got a cider. It's called the Dark Side from Bishop Cider here in the Dallas area. Very cool. They should do one called Dark Cider of the Ring. Perhaps. <laughs> that would be very good. I also want to give a shout out real quick. Swamphead Brewing in Gainesville, Florida. I did go to the University of Florida. They have a new beer out called Visor, named after Steve Spurrier. I haven't had it yet. Very smart name. So I just since we're talking craft beer, wanted to give a little bit of a shout out there. But we're not here to talk craft beer or football or basketball. We're here to talk WWE. And before we get to the Clash of Champions instant analysis, very quick, do not forget to follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We talk about pay-per-views and TV shows live while they're on the air. We let you know the second our, our podcasts are ready for you to listen to. It is a great Twitter account to follow if I do say so myself. And also don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this show. But Chris, Let's get into it. WWE Clash of Champions Gold Rush Instant Analysis. Long name here. Before we get to the matches themselves and before the show even began, we learned that two matches, the SmackDown Women's Championship and the Women's Tag Team Championship, were pulled 
from the card. Charlie Caruso on the kickoff show said Nikki Cross, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax were not medically cleared to perform. So obviously we know the speculation was going to immediately go to COVID-19. I think Shayna Baszler already jumped on Twitter, said that's not the case, at least for her. I don't know, but you know what? As far as I'm concerned, I would rather matches be pulled from shows than have anyone come in potentially sick. So you know what? I think this is a good thing. You know, I hate that anyone gets coronavirus if that's what happened. And hopefully that's not what happened. But in the case of sports, in the case of sports entertainment and regular entertainment, the idea that people are testing and not coming to work and infecting other people, that is a positive. So whether it's a positive test, contract, contact tracing, or if it's injuries, whatever the case, these are matches that I think we were both anticipating for the show. But ultimately, by the time the show was over, I didn't miss either of them. Yeah, no, same thing. It's, it's, you know, we've had a lot of college football games that have been postponed due to COVID-19. Some of them are, are just a couple of positives, but mostly contact tracing. We found out this morning, Sunday morning, that Georgia State postponed its game last week. It turned out that that uh, the tests were not positive, that they actually misread the test results. But I, I think it's incredible, by the way, someone it, just met misread the test results. That's yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to read those results, but it, it, it goes to the point of people are being very cautious with this stuff. College football teams for wrestling, they're not trying to just, you know, gut it out. It, 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 it's a sign that um, I think that they are being cautious when these things come up. So I do think overall, I think it's a positive because when a lot of the stuff's going on, you question uh, how serious people are going to take the stuff, people in charge, people with money on the line. And uh, so far, at least uh, in these instances, it, it looks like they are. So I think it's good. Yeah, look, I'll tell you, I picked up a pizza like right before uh, Clash of Champions began. This really trendy, expensive, ridiculous pizza place by me. But the point of that is I had to go to the downtown area of my city where I live. And man, I cannot even tell you how depressed I was to see how few people were wearing masks. I, I drove by one restaurant where waiters weren't even wearing masks at an outdoor restaurant. I was just floored by it. So look... You know, superstars, a lot of them are in their 20s and 30s. They feel invincible. They are, you know, going out and partying and doing these things, or they're just accidentally catching it by living their normal lives. And and I'd much rather, like I said at the beginning, I'd, I'd rather them not be on the show and not have the matches. You could have pulled the main events from the show. I'd rather something like that happen than us have a circumstance where a bunch of people get sick. So good for, I guess, WWE uh, they've really ramped up their testing over the last few months. I, I guess it's really a huge positive c compared to what they were doing before. And again, not a huge loss coming out of the show, but a huge gain going into the show, dude, was the introduction to Clash of Champions narrated by John Cena. I thought this thing was incredible and they really do need to reach back into their past a little bit more and use some guys for stuff like this. I could totally see... The Rock, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, guys like that narrating intros to pay-per-views. And this one with Cena made Clash of Champions feel like a major pay-per-view, even though we all know it's a B-level show. Yeah, no, any sort of openings for pay-per-views, I, like, I want to be told that this is a big deal that I'm going to watch this. I mean, I always think back to to, to the Attitude Era when I watched and. When I, when I watched as a kid, there there wasn't there weren't B pay-per-views. It was just every show felt like a big deal because they told me it was a big deal. So, you know, always appreciate when 
they hype up their own stuff and, and do things like they did. So uh, good job. For sure. Now let's get into the actual card itself. And the way we do this on instant analysis for first time listeners, we start from the main event and work backwards. Normally when we do our ultimate previews, we work in the other direction. But when we do the instant analysis, we start with the biggest ticket item and work our way forward. And the biggest ticket item by far was the WWE Championship match. Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, defending against his cousin, his Uso, Jay Uso, or his Uso, I guess, is really the right word. Nevertheless, let's start a little bit talking about what happened Friday night on the go-home SmackDown. I thought they gave us another incredibly well-done video package. And dude, I was surprised and delighted to see Afa, Sika, Rikishi, Jimmy Uso all on there. Rikishi nailed the thing because he predicted, as he should, that his son Jay would win and be the tribal chief of the family. And, and watching that promo, dude, I got goosebumps. This made this match feel like a main event of SummerSlam, not the main event of Clash of Champions. And we've only had like three weeks build as opposed to a couple of months. Then later in the show, you have Jay cutting promos, main event level promos, by the way, with him questioning Reigns' look and his, you know, basically demeaning looks and his demanding answers from Reigns. Uh, Reigns then comes back, cuts a promo about Jay having no idea whatsoever what it takes to be champion and that it's not his fault that Roman Reigns is in the position that he is in, but he's in that position and he does need to lead the family. I just thought it was great character work with Reigns kind of being pompous and simultaneously demeaning Jay more than anything else. He talked about the family being proud of Jay and the Usos being the greatest tag team, but that there's a difference between being a great tag team and, you know, helping the family and providing for the family like Roman does. And then he said, it ain't you. It won't ever be you because it will always, always be me, which was an absolutely killer line. Jay answered right back, definitely pulling from real life with Reigns being one of the best wrestlers ever while fans come up to him and say, which one are you? You felt that. Like, even though mm -hmm. I'm not a twin, I don't have any siblings. I felt what that might feel like to die inside when someone asks you that. And then last but not least, dude, on the ramp, Reigns blindsides Jay out of nowhere and cuts the second half of the best promo of his career. And I say the second half because the first half was what he said in the ring. But let's listen to that promo, and I will let you jump in right after this. I don't just feed my kids with this title. I don't just feed your kids with this title. I feed my whole family with this title. My family needs me to have this title, and you want to take it from me? You're going to take the payday. You're going to take the ass whooping that comes with me. But you will never take this title. When you couple the video package on SmackDown with Roman Reigns promo, this moment, and then I don't even know if you saw it, but the WWE Chronicle on Jey Uso was incredible. When you take all of that together and everything they've given us from SmackDown over the last two weeks, dude, I was so incredibly amped up for this match. Whoever came up with this idea of of, of Jay being the first um, person to to compete for Roman's belt, give that person a raise because that was brilliant. It, it, it's such an easy story to tell, and 
Jay absolutely carried his side of it. And an, another part I, I keep getting from this is that they can make anybody feel like a big deal if they really want to do it. And and part of this was unique. Part of it's the family stuff. You know, it, it made him a little bit unique to Roman. But everyone in that locker room has some unique story in some way that helped them to get to where they are. When you see what ha- how, what what can happen with Kofi Mania, and when you can see how how you can throw in one half of a tag team guy into a main event in a month and turn out and turn out what they did, they can do this for a lot of guys. And I I, I want them to to lean on more people like this, people who haven't gotten these opportunities, but people who have stories to tell, people who can still have interesting characters, and people who are going to have to deliver like the way. Jay has delivered, uh, but th- this was not, this entire story was not, oh, here's the first guy for Roman, we're just going to get to it, he's going to beat him up, and then we'll move on to something else. No, they made this entire thing feel like a big deal every single week that we saw them on screen, and that's what I want to see from my wrestling all the time, and it's not that specific story, but there are so many stories to tell with so many people in that locker room. And we need to get more of what they did for, with, with Roman and Jay here because this was absolutely 10 out of 10, five stars, whatever you want to call it. Tremendous storytelling, build up, and then we'll get into the match here. It really was. It set the table for a match that you knew was going to be important, even though Jay Uso as a challenger, in most cases, if Jay Uso was challenging Drew McIntyre or Randy Orton or, or The Fiend or anyone else, it wouldn't have mattered as much as this particular match mattered and they they didn't beat you over the head with telling you why but they took they took your hand and they led you down a path and and told you a story over the course of 3 4 weeks where where you said I want to see this match not just I want to see this match this match better main event this show and it better deliver in a major way and I think I think people probably have an idea of what we're going to feel about it by the time we get to it but man, oh man, did they deliver. And you make a great point, dude. WWE could do this for anyone at any time. I mean, maybe there's a couple of exceptions where they would try and fail, right? But if WWE wanted to, they could do something like this with Chad Gable. Or they could take Mustafa Ali on Raw and make him a top flight Babyface. I know this is a heel storyline, but nevertheless, they can tell this same type of story for so many people. And it just takes thought and effort and consistency. And I think yes. that's what's missing from a lot of WWE storylines. And, and it's more than just giving the person a title shot. It's you have to reach in and tell us who this person is and why we should care about them. We got the family stuff. But even before the match, as Jay is coming to the ring, Cole says, I think he said it was, this is his first singles championship match ever in WWE. Like, they they told us who Jay Uso was more than just he's part of a tag team, more than, more than he's Roman's cousin. They told us who he was. They gave him character and a reason for you to be interested. And, and that's exactly how you need to handle this. So Clash of Champions, you know, is winding down. The main event hits. Jey Uso makes his way to the ring. He's wearing these red, this red lei, for lack of a better term. I don't know if uh, in Samoan culture it's called the lei, just like it is in Hawaiian culture, but nevertheless, um, a lei, red lei of, of flowers around his neck. And then Roman Reigns comes out, 
shirtless, and looks like a million freaking dollars. I don't know if you feel. All this guy wanted is meat, Chris. And I know you want to talk about his look, which I thought was great. I think slowly but surely we're going to see them change up his graphics, maybe change a little bit of his clothes. He said in an interview this week that his entrance music eventually was going to change as well when the time was appropriate, that this is all part of a story. But step one is taking a guy who has maybe, let's just say, the second best physique in the entire company behind Bobby Lashley, because Bobby Lashley is basically a Greek god. Um and take his shirt off for the first time in eight years. And dude, Twitter went crazy. Like people went nuts because it's such a simple little thing. But when you have a guy like Roman Reigns, you got to showcase him. And that's what they did when he made his entrance. I don't know if you still have the 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 the, the, the zip drop, but I'm just going to pretend that one's being played as we, well. We retired that for, um, <laughs> for good reasons, I think. Sure. Yeah. Um, this, so after payback, I said... He is Anakin Skywalker right when he turned to the dark side, but he was not yet Darth Vader. He didn't have the whole Darth Vader getup. And Adam is going to need to watch episode three, Revenge of the Sith, <laughs> to figure out what's going on here. But this is exactly the next step in that. First, he becomes the bad guy, but he still looks and feels like the good guy we know. But slowly but surely, you start to see the changes and by the end of the time we get to this, he's going to be look like a completely he's going to feel and look like a completely different person. And the complete turn to the dark side or the turn to the dark side will be complete. I, this was a great call. Uh, I don't uh, again. Yes, we don't know why he was covered up in a chest protector for eight years looking like that. Now, I know some people have said he didn't look like that you know, before necessarily, but sure. Okay, fine. I, but, but, now, but I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure if he didn't have a chest protector on, he probably would work to, to look like he does now. So, you whatever know. Roman Reigns used to look like is 50 times better than the way I look right now. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> okay. So yes, in, 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 incredible look coming out of the top. The beard is on point. Yeah. Might yeah. be the best looking beard he's had. Um, just tremendous. A plus look all around. Am I wrong thinking that he should tie his hair back? Has he done that in any promos yet? I think he's done it like before when he's been in a contract signing maybe or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Since, since he's turned, I can't really tell. But you I know, feel like it's a tribal chief move to do that. It, it would be. It would be. Um, I think he did that in Hobbs and Shaw. I'm not sure if he had the hair back or not. But yeah, no, it, it totally could come across. You could. I, I'm curious if they'll do that. All right, well, we're going to get a sleuth on that. But the chances that the Silver King watches one minute of Star Wars, not going to happen. Okay, let's finally talk about this damn match. We're on an instant analysis. We're like 15 minutes in, haven't talked about a single match on the show. But we're going to get to it, and the rest of them will get through pretty quick. But this one, Chris, going to have to bear with me here. There is a lot to just explain when we talk about this match before I set you up to talk about it. So... I loved the trash talk, man, right off the bat. It felt way more real than it otherwise would have when people are basically silent, you know, during the entire match. Ray is telling Jade that he should have taken the payday, laid down for him. It was super smart that this match was a true brawl while Reigns was dominating until Jay basically got the equivalent of a hot tag, hit all those dives, the super kick, and got the first of two 2.9 counts on Roman Reigns, which was great. 
Uh, Reigns added the Rough Rider, I guess, to his moveset. That was pretty cool. Jay then had an awesome counter of the spear with a pinning combination, then hit a super kick and a frog splash for the second 2.9 that I was mentioning. Reigns pulled a sick heel move by kicking out of that with a low blow simultaneously. I have never seen anyone do that before. That was very smart and inventive. Reigns then drills Jay with the spear right after that. And you're like, okay, match is over, right? Nope. Refuses to pin him. Demands that Jay call him the tribal chief. He did it again and hit another spear and then broke the fourth wall by forcing Jay to say it into the camera. And Jay refused to do it again. Paul Heyman in the background somewhere is screaming, Reigns, you're my tribal chief, Roman. You're my tribal chief. And Reigns says he doesn't want to hear it from Paul. He doesn't care that he's Paul's tribal chief. He needs to be the tribal chief of the family. Charles Robinson tries to stop the match. Reigns basically threatens his life and his job and then continues to beat the shit out of Jay with punches and forearms to the front and back of the head. And I'm like, man, this is brutal. I can't even imagine this getting better. And then freaking Jimmy Uso runs out on one leg with a white towel, wants to throw it in. So Reigns tells him, hey, call me the tribal chief and the head of the family. Jay is screaming, don't throw that shit. Don't throw that shit. I love that he said shit, even though he tried to like play it down a little bit. Reigns is battering him and then Jimmy eventually throws in the towel. But even after Jimmy Uso throws in the towel, Reigns does not stop. So Jimmy finally dives into the ring, saves his brother, screams at their family and he says, you're the chief man. You're the tribal chief man. Is that what you want? You got it. Just leave him alone. You, the chief Oos, um, just stop and chill or whatever. Heyman grabs the red lay from over the ring post that Jay wore in and crowns Roman Reigns with it as the show ends. This, Chris, was expert level. A plus booking. All time stuff. One of the great match finishes and overall match storylines in wrestling history. I'm not saying it's the greatest people. Don't freak out. It's one of the great ones. Okay. This is wrestling at its absolute best. And everyone, Reigns, Heyman, the Usos, the Anawaii family, every person involved in booking and approving this storyline, every single one of them deserves credit, including Charles Robinson, for what we saw tonight. I've been juiced at professional wrestling finishes and matches before, but there's very few that make you feel something. Okada Omega 4, um, Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title at WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels super kicking Ric Flair. This is one of those moments, and it happened on Clash of Champions in the middle of a pandemic on a match with three weeks build, and I cannot sing its praises anymore. This this has been a story and this was a match where I the idea of the Thunderdome digital fans not having actual fans did not cross my mind whatsoever. I was completely enthralled in everything they were doing on my screen and everything else was completely blocked out. Same went for this match. Um, not you want to talk about the best promo work of his career. I thought what he did in the ring tonight even topped what they did on SmackDown. Um, just oh, yeah, for sure. tremendous stuff. I don't know where they had the mic set up, but man, it was, you could hear everything completely clearly. It added a lot to it. Not, not having the fans and being able to hear them. They were able to tell that story. Uh, the 2.9 kickouts, man, that is the most underrated skill in pro wrestling. That is 
Kirk, to me, Kurt Angle is the best ever at the 2.9 kickout. In WWE, and, you're saying? In, sure, I, I've okay. only generally watched WWE in a little All bit. Right. I, I can't speak for Japan or anything. Have you but, never seen like Kenny Omega, uh, Kazushika Okada? You've never seen those I, I've, I've not watched those yet. I remember we <laughs> talked about him early. I remember we, we talked oh about him God. early when, when, when I started on this pod. I've, I've not gotten to them yet. Oh but at least okay. I will say that from what I've seen, Kurt Angle's the best no, it's ever. Fine. It's and, great. And it, and it adds so much. That's lit second. When you when when for you catch yourself being like whoa oh I, I actually for a second actually thought Roman Reigns might lose or that was that was weird I didn't expect to feel that and then you feel that that's so much more that's so important compared to when you see it's a two and then you see a leg coming up because it's going to be a whole body kick out and it, it, it kills the moment wrestling's about moments two point nine kickouts are the moments great job by Roman there um, the match was fun. It it, it felt it, it didn't feel like any Roman match we've seen before. You know, Jay's great as a high flyer, and then you know we all expected this to turn into a beatdown at the end. But man, the story they told as they did it, the way you laid everything out with the family, with with the the, the lay with with Paul Heyman saying you're my chief, and in the way Charles Robinson was handling it, those are all the little details that take something from being good on paper to great in execution and on your on your TV screen and just complete home run from everybody involved. Yeah, you nailed it. You know, we talk about how successful the booking had been on Raw for an extended period of time and how things have really gone downhill a little bit since Paul Heyman's been gone. This is a lot of Paul Heyman. I, I know people may not want to hear it or may not want to believe it. I believe this is a scenario where Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman individually are driving storyline and creative here. And sure, Roman Reigns and others are having input, maybe giving approvals and so on. But this feels like it's personal, right? And it feels like it's something that could only be accomplished by the guy in charge, Roman Reigns, and a guy in Paul Heyman, who legitimately in real life has an extremely close relationship with his family and knows the weight for this storyline to play out. And that is what I think we saw over the last few weeks. And I think that's what we saw on Sunday night. It is impressive. As I said, this is professional wrestling at its best. It is storytelling. It's great action. The 2.9 finishes that I talked about and that you're talking about, those don't happen much in WWE. They happen all the time in AEW and Japan, but they don't happen a lot in WWE. So when you see them, it really matters. And I don't know if it doesn't happen. I don't want to say it's because it's a lack of capability for other people or it's just a not wanting to sell that much or WWE telling them not to sell that much, but it was necessary here. You needed to feel like Jey Uso under many circumstances could have actually beaten Roman Reigns, but in the end, Reigns was that much more dominant and that much more of a leader and a tribal chief, because this is the storyline they're telling. They're not telling the story of a dominant champion. They're not telling the story of a face who turned heel and just so happens to be Samoan. They're telling the story of a guy who is trying to take over WWE, for lack of a better term, but not in the stupid way that Retribution is, in the way that my family has a legacy, I have a legacy, I'm the next coming of it, and I'm going to take charge of my own career now. And that's what it feels like, both in reality and in kayfabe. And man, I look at this and I try to play it ahead, right? Because the Fiend is going to come up and Roman's going to beat the Fiend and 
there's going to be other challenges along the way. But if this is your storyline, this is the gimmick, for lack of a better term, and Roman Reigns is going to be the Samoan tribal chief, I do not know any other way that this can not so much end, but develop into. I don't know what match this could develop into other than WrestleMania 37, Roman Reigns versus The Rock. Because I think he was purposely left out of all the video packages. I think his name purposely has not been mentioned, whereas Yokozuna was, even though he in character was Japanese, but of course he was Samoan. I think this is all purposeful. And I'm going to say it right now. Let's clock it. September, I don't even know what day, 27th. And I'm not, this is not a unique opinion. I'm just telling you this is where my mind is. September 27th, immediately after WWE Clash of Champions, the main event of WrestleMania 37, it's going to be Roman Reigns against The Rock. Man, I am fired up for that idea. They did mention him. I don't know if they said The Rock, but in, in that promo, Paul Heyman says, when they're talking, listing off the family members, he says the most electrifying man in sports or sports entertainment. It, it, it's, it, it really leans into that. I actually wrote down some of the, the best lines that Roman said during the match. One of them was, I've been doing this. It ain't your fault. Basically saying, it ain't your fault you can't beat me. It ain't your fault you're about to get your ass It's not your fault you suck, bro. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm just, I'm on this level and you are not. And then when he was beaten down, when he was beaten down, Jay, Charles Robinson tries to get in and Roman says, no, this is family business. Like, this is more important than a wrestling match right now, what we've got going on right here. Just, you know, it's, this is the best Roman Reigns has been. It's great to see this on it's unbridled. It doesn't feel like there are any limitations on him. It feels like it, it feels like they are letting Paul Heyman do whatever he wants with him. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it, he feels completely unshackled from the idea of Roman Reigns. And that just, it goes a long way and, and everybody, it's easy to buy into all of this stuff. I do wonder a little bit, and I know there's a rumor that she's injured and maybe had surgery, but I do wonder a little bit why Naomi wasn't there because I thought it would have been smart if she was like helping him down to the ring, right? You play into really, you make it really real life or maybe even if they had Tamina come out and help Jimmy. I just think there would have been that slight addition that they could have done to really hammer it home how how it really is real. Or maybe if, if Tamina confronts Roman Friday night on SmackDown and says, what are you doing to our family? And he pushes her away or shoes her off or whatever the case, but I do want them to inject all of them into it because if this is a family storyline, there is family besides just the two Usos who are in this company right now. And I think it's important that they get involved. But other than that, I I think one one thing I'll say with that, this is just a a little bit of fantasy booking. If if we are going to get to Roman versus Rock, I, I think you start doing that. You start having family members come out every week, every other week. It might be too early to start that right now. But at some point, okay. you do that. And then the last one to come out and confront him about something is The Rock, and you start a rock you start a rock hype for a month or two months or three months. Uh, so just playing off of what you're saying there, I, I think that I think that'd be a great way to do it. Yeah, it would work. Look, I'm just I wanna I wanna say one more thing and then we'll move on. Roman Reigns, some point soon, is gonna beat the fiend. Okay, he's gonna beat him clean. People are gonna complain about it. Don't complain about it. Okay, do, he has do, to. do we have to though? Does he have to be? He's got. We'll, we'll talk. We'll get into the bliss stuff. But like you, you said, he's away from the title belt. He should never have been there. 
I think they've got a pretty good like cut here and they don't need to bring this. I don't think the fiend needs a title match again, anytime soon, any sort of rematch. I think it'd be better if they just cut this out. So uh, if he fights the fiend and beats the fiend, yeah, I'm going to be one of those people complaining. No, I won't because he's the type of guy who should be able to overcome the fiend in a circumstance like this. And I was going to save it for Tuesday's show where we talk about all the stuff that didn't happen on the pay-per-view, but we might as well inject it now because Alexa bliss after her match on SmackDown, she, she was walking back and dude, forget about like, like we can talk about how hype I was from all the promos on SmackDown, how great this match was, but Alexa bliss walking back, demonic transfixed, maybe possessed even by the fiend Roman reigns, music hit and Alexa bliss five feet of fury staring a hole right through Roman Reigns on SmackDown. I, I tweeted a picture of it. My God, like that popped huge for me. That hit in every possible way. I think that is foreshadowing. I do think they're going to have a match. And I don't really think there's much wrong with it if he does end up beating The Fiend. We do need to move on, but I'll let you get the last word here. I don't think they do that if it's not something that is planned for the future. The only other thing I could see possibly happening is Reigns holds the title the whole time. Maybe Fiend gets moved to Raw in the draft, or I don't know, maybe he, they figure out another long-term storyline for him. And then after Reigns beats The Rock, because by the way, if that does happen at WrestleMania, Reigns needs to beat The Rock. He can't yes. lose. Yep. Um, then when Reigns beats The Rock, the only person left, the final boss, if you will, is The Fiend. And maybe they bring it back then. Maybe they're just going to do little pieces of foreshadowing here and there. But it does need to happen at some point because they're teasing it, and I don't think they're doing anything accidentally right now. Maybe it was foreshadowing. Maybe it wasn't. I just I, I think they've they've started a interesting reboot of the fiend here, and I want to keep him as far away from the title as possible and don't mess it up like they did before. All right, well let's move on because there's a lot of show left. We have the WWE Championship: Drew McIntyre against Randy Orton in an ambulance match. I thought it was fantastic, dude, how they gave Orton and McIntyre extended entrances to set the stage for the importance of this match. McIntyre looked like a megastar with his pyro. This was a little bit different than last year, Clash of Champions, the entire show. What they did last year was for every match before it began, they turned the lights down. They put spotlights on both uh, competitors. They did a official, very official ring announce. They held the title up and they made it a Clash of Champions. They really emphasized the champions. I don't know if they didn't do that this year, perhaps because... They didn't want to hide the Thunderdome and have anyone look at it and kind of say, oh, they're just in a small little arena again or you know, back in the performance center. So maybe that's why they didn't do it this year. But I loved that they did it last year. Despite them not doing it, the fact that they gave these guys really long entrances as challengers, that hit home for me. The match here started fine. But right off the bat, I disliked the idea that the WWE champion was so hurt five minutes into the match that he needed freaking Big Show to basically save him from a punt kick by choke slamming Randy Orton through the announcer's table. So then that happens. We have McIntyre capitalize and lawn dart Orton into the ambulance, just like Kevin Nash did to Rey Mysterio on Nitro. Uh, the Claymore from uh, McIntyre rips off an ambulance door. That was a cool spot. And I like that they took this backstage, which should actually happen more often in like ambulance matches and casket matches and buried alive matches, things where you have to be outside the ring. And in, ge and in general, when they have an entire arena and no actual fans. Absolutely. And you don't always just have to keep it like in the ringside area. You're right, especially in the Thunderdome. Hell, they could have taken this to Raw Underground for all I would have cared 
And that would have been great too. I mean, just seeing them in there wrestling on that mat for a few minutes, it probably would have sold Raw Underground a little bit, but regardless. Um, so you have that. They're fighting and catering. Uh, McIntyre hurts himself. Christian shows up and attacks Orton in the catering area. And now it's clear that the way this match is going to keep playing out is that Orton's misdeeds, all his punt kicks, all the legends he tried to retire are going to come back to haunt him over the rest of the match. So we're back in the Thunderdome. McIntyre gets his eye gouged and then his, gets his entire back and like arms torn up going through a windshield, which is, by the way, really funny, dude, considering how many windshields WWE's broken. And we just talked about it on Tuesday's show, right? It was crazy. So I, I don't know what an I don't know what an ambulance windshield uh, uh, insurance costs. Though. I don't know. Hopefully not too much more. But man, I think that's like four windshields that they've broken over the course of three weeks or something like that. Crazy. So uh, he's down there. Matt, Matt, they get onto the roof of the ambulance. Um, Orton kind of like kicks McIntyre off, kind of like the Lion King, kills him. You know, falls off the back of the ambulance. And then Shawn Michaels jumps onto the ambulance and super kicks Orton off the roof into oblivion. Let's pause right here. Okay, we're going to talk about the rest of the match after. What did you think at this point, seeing three wrestlers interfere in a WWE championship match for a babyface champion who has been built as strong as anyone in the company to this point? I'm glad you're pausing it here because I I was going to tell you what I was thinking in this moment what I was really excited to see and what didn't happen. I thought after we see all those people, we all know the the last one is Ric Flair. And so I'm thinking Ric Flair is going to come up and we're going to have a face off. Is Randy, is is Randy going to, we've had all these people fighting Randy, uh, Randy Orton, all these people from his past. Is Ric Flair going to do it? Randy Orton's going to do something terrible to Ric Flair to get all that heat back and then close the door on Drew McIntyre and win this match and boom to the top. Randy Orton, after a weird month, has done something so incredibly heelish, such as RKOing an old man or throwing him off of something or, or, or whatever. And Randy was going to finally get his moment with that 14th championship, take over Drew and become the biggest heel in the company again. That's what I was thinking at that moment. What I was thinking was that we were going to see Ric Flair and he was going to low blow Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton would hit the RKO, throw McIntyre in the back of the ambulance and win. Why? Because Ric Flair appreciates dirty players and he would have understood where Randy Orton's coming from. They're still evolution members together. And even though Orton turned on him, even in that moment, he treated him. I mean, it's hard tough to say this when you low blow someone and then punt kick their head in kayfabe. Well, but let, he me tre- say, let me he say he treated him relatively gently <laughs> compared to the we, other. We didn't see the punt kick. Okay, because yeah. Because Retribution I mean, knocked out the lights. If you want to, you can say they fooled Drew, Drew McIntyre. They fooled everybody and they're thinking he punt kicked Ric okay. Flair when he never did. You can do that too. Okay, so but that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. But at that moment, I'm sitting there thinking... This match is really good. I'm enjoying it. Everything's fine. But this is your WWE champion, like I said, and it was a loaded question when I asked you. It's the strongest built guy in your company right now. And he needs the help of Big Show Christian and Shawn Michaels just to be competitive in the match. I thought that was strange. But, but we'll keep going, and I'll tell you why I think the booking at least made sense in WWE's eyes. So after a couple minutes, 
uh, of basically HBK kicking Orton off the roof of an ambulance. Uh, Orton hits the RKO on McIntyre, throws him into the ambulance, but he can't close the doors before McIntyre gouges out Orton's eye in retaliation. And that, I think, is the key to this entire storyline. Uh, McIntyre hits the Claymore, scoops up Orton, is ready to close the door and win the match when he changes his mind. He pulls Orton out and sets him up for a punt kick. And when this is happening, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is when Ric Flair is going to come out. He's getting ready for the punt kick. Ric Flair low blows him. Randy slithers out. RKO, end of match. Or he's about to do it. The lights go out. Here's Retribution. Because we talked in our ultimate preview, I was very pessimistic that Retribution was going to get involved in this match. And thank God they did not. But what ended up happening was you have McIntyre. He hits the punt kick, closes the doors, and he retains the title. So now we have Drew McIntyre with two wins over Randy Orton, the hottest heel in the company for the entire year to this point. And in order to beat Orton in a match designed to allow a champion to lose without harm, he needed all this interference. We did see Ric Flair at the end, of course, driving the ambulance, giving a woo. That I thought was very funny and a great finish to the match. But let me be clear. I don't think this was bad, not by any means. It was very entertaining. It was, I was just a little bit indifferent to the booking because it felt like this was the moment to crown Orton. Instead, it feels like they used this match to end Randy Orton's legend killer storyline in this really hot run that he's been on for the last nine months. A hundred percent. That's exactly what it was. I, I was, I, I guess the match was good. I liked it. I, I think you saying you're indifferent to the booking is a good way to put it because it's not like, it's not like this was some young guy. We're wait, ready for him to get his moment and they don't pull the trigger. This is a 13 time champ. Randy Orton better on forever. He's, he's Randy Orton, but you know, Two months ago, Randy Orton was our wrestler of the year. And that's not that's not I, that's not the case anymore. It, it has been a rough. Well, two, I don't know that I don't know that it's not the case anymore. Though. Well, it has been a rough month and a half, two months of Randy Orton here from losing clean, losing clean to to keep Lee to two losses in, in title matches. It just feels like everything they built up. Uh, with the legend killer stuff, like I guess was supposed to, the, the idea is to transfer that to to Drew now, transfer that momentum. But I don't know. He was already the champion. He'd already beaten Randy Orton once. I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm just. I'm not a fan of the results here. We both had the same thing in mind. We think Randy Randy Orton's gonna something really heelish is gonna happen, and Randy Orton's gonna get that title to cement what he's done all year. And he's deserved. He's deserved a a, a a title for everything he's done. And instead, he loses emphatically. Yeah. You know, when when Drew brought him back out to punt him, I was like, oh, Drew's gonna be the stupid face. Exactly. And yep. and it's gonna cost him. And then just nope, nope. He just straight up destroyed him. So the, the big baby okay face then, who gets triggered and, yeah. and out mentaled. You know, he he, he yeah. loses the mental game and it costs him the title. And I was not going to be as as that was happening. I thought that was what was going to happen. And I was like, man, that is not the way to get get Orton here. It's not going to make Orton look good. It's only going to make your heel your face look dumb. And instead, nope, they just went through it. So yeah, I guess indifferent is probably the way to go. Um, just surprised. 
And that doesn't mean I, I thought it was a good match. And it was, it was, it was a good piece of booking. I, I don't have much harm. No harm was done, right? Drew McIntyre is strong. We like that. It's a positive that he is still the champion. None of this is a negative. And look, for a nine-month period of time, Randy Orton absolutely killed it, okay? And he's not supposed to be the guy getting put over and being champion. So this is not the worst result in the world by any means. It's just surprising when we thought there was going to be more to it. And I do have a DM slide here. From Mick Foley's Missing Teeth at MFMT1982. He, he writes us a lot, but he doesn't usually send DM questions. Uh, is Randy going to SmackDown? Seems like they just wrote him off raw. It does seem like he's been written off. I think what would disappoint me the most is if Monday night we see Randy Orton on television. Because that means they're just going to run this back one more time for Hell in a Cell. Now, granted... Maybe they do that, and maybe Randy Orton wins the title at Hell in a Cell, and everything we're talking about is just them pushing it off. And maybe Randy Orton comes in and says, look, you needed, he says everything we said. What, you needed Christian, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, and Big Show just to beat me? And Orton's like, okay, let's settle this in the cell. I mean, uh, McIntyre's like, let's settle this in the cell. They do that, and maybe Orton wins the title. So that's all possible. But they did announce that the WWE draft is coming up on October 9th and 12th, and I do think it's possible that he gets traded to SmackDown, but more important than that, I just think he needs to be written off Raw because he can't main event anywhere now. If you put him on SmackDown, he's not a mid-carder and he's not going after Roman Reigns. He should be done with Drew McIntyre in the main event picture of Raw. And even if he's not, that needs to be freshened up in a major way anyway. The draft is sorely needed, especially for Raw. What I think is happening is they wrote him off TV, period. They're going to give him a couple months of a break and they'll bring him back like one month before Edge is ready to come back. They'll punt kick a couple more people and then a month later, Edge will come in, make the save, and they will set up their blow-off match at WrestleMania. That is my belief, at least, how this is going to go down. And I'm fine with that if that's how they ultimately book it, as long as he's written off. If they just bring him back, man, it's just going to be... I know what it's going to be like from us. It's just We're just going to be saying, look... We've already had this match so many times. What about Keith Lee? How does he factor in now? Um, do they do a triple threat and Orton pins Lee? Like, it's just going to continuously get convoluted. So for me, this needs to end. Yes. If if we find out Monday that they're going to run this back again, just no. They, they have run so many stories for far too long, especially on Raw. Honestly, if I had to make a pick on what's going to happen, I think that's going to happen. I think we're going to get him at Hell in a Cell because I don't know if it's because they feel short on bodies or what, but they have dragged everything on far too long and they absolutely should not. Randy's moment was SummerSlam and they didn't give it to him. That was when he was as hot as he could be and they didn't pull the trigger on it. You, you, you get to this moment, a chance to make up for it. Okay. And they still don't do it. So that fire, that flame is out right now. And there's nothing you can do in a month to bring it back for Hell in a Cell. So I hope he either is off to SmackDown or is just off for a few months or whatever. But I think they're going to redo it for Hell in a Cell. And if they do, I'm, I'm just not going to be that into it. I think so, too. And I don't know if that's being pessimistic or maybe just realistic. But I think they're going to run it back for Hell in a Cell as well. But you're right. I think if they ended it right now, you say, you know what? No harm, no foul. He had a great nine-month run, was built up as a really strong heel, 
and you had the guy that you had beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, you had him beat Randy Orton. He's the guy. Drew McIntyre is the guy on Raw, and Roman Reigns is the guy on SmackDown. And there is nothing wrong with that. So if that's what they do, then I'm 100% fine with it. But yes, if he comes back and they do run this back at Hell in a Cell, even if he wins the title, I don't know how I'm going to sit through another month of this storyline when you've already done the three Claymores and the three punt kicks and and all the aggression that they've shown over the last few weeks. I just don't know what else they could do. So with that, let's move on from here. So next up we had, I guess it was technically the SmackDown Women's Championship match. You had Bailey. She was supposed to face Nikki Cross. Nikki was one of the women who was unavailable for today's show, deemed not medically cleared. You know, it was cool that they gave us some type of match here, or they at least, you know, tried to with Asuka because they needed to set up the storyline of Sasha Banks' blindside attack, which is really what this was about. Asuka technically won the match via disqualification, but at the end of the match, you see Sasha Banks attack Bailey in the blindside with a chair. And I thought Sasha Banks absolutely crushed this. She, she was kind of back down in the ring after getting hurt a little bit. She took out Bailey's knee, then kicked the chair out of her hand, and then went buck wild with the kendo stick, just all over Bailey's back. And then as Bailey tried to scoot out of the ring, she threw a chair right at her. This is a minor touch here. And I think I'm right about this, but I'm very possibly could be wrong because I have never dyed my hair. But I liked that Banks didn't seem to have the full hair extensions in because you could see her dark roots showing. And I think that was kind of to indicate that she hasn't been able to get her hair done because she's been injured. I could totally be off base and any women listening, please correct me if that's the case. But that's what I took from it. I thought she looked rattled a little bit and off her edge, off her game a little bit, if that makes sense, because she hasn't been able to maybe take care of herself because she's been hurt. Maybe that's how her hair always has been. Maybe I'm stupid. Uh, The right move, though, as we've discussed, Chris, is for this feud to go down in Hell in a Cell next month, at least to be the start of it. We do know the WWE draft has been announced. That could create a hiccup in this entire thing. And I've already laid out the storyline for that if that's the way they end up going. I also, when I said that, thought the draft would happen after Hell in a Cell. So nevertheless, that's where we are. We do have Sasha Banks attacking Bayley. And this storyline is progressing. I thought they did a really good job after SmackDown on Friday night, candidly. I thought Bayley's promo was pretty bad. I actually thought it was the worst thing that they've done in a while. It just felt very formulaic and repetitive. And I even had a note where I where I said, I have nothing to say on this, Chris. What about you? So um, I thought this was a fine segment and I liked the fire from Sasha. Yeah, I mean, I guess this means we're kind of going forward with this. We weren't sure how long they'd keep her off, if it was hell in the cell, if they're going to start it, if, if, if we're going to do a draft and split them up, which I think is... If you want to stretch this to Mania, which I, I I still think you can, maybe that's a way to do it, but they clearly want to keep going with this right now. So, I yeah, I, I think Hell in the Cell's got to happen. You know, maybe they split them apart, but they already have the Hell in the Cell match happening. So, I, I don't know. But, yeah, it was, uh, wasn't sure exactly what they were going to do when the Nikki Cross stuff w- w- wasn't happening. Um, so, I... I, I I popped a bit when Asuka came out again to, to have her second match. You knew it was going to be some sort of wacky finish, and unfortunately that happens with Asuka matches and Asuka, Bailey, Sasha stuff all the time. Uh, but this was fine because it was meant to get us to something else, uh, and it was well done. Yeah, it seemed like they 
basically gave us the planned finish for the Nikki Cross match in order to get Sasha Banks in there for her planned attack. And that's fine. All they, that's all they needed to do, a two-minute match, and just give us the storyline booking. People, I saw people complaining online, why didn't someone else get a chance? Asuka was already on the show. That's why. Asuka was already on the show. They, are, they only test people that are going to be on the specific show, so they only had a finite number of women available. They weren't going to have Zelina Vega challenge her after she just lost to Asuka. Um, now, maybe, I guess they possibly could have done like uh, Liv Morgan or Ruby Riot, but they're on Raw, right? And they're not the champions, so it wouldn't have made sense on a champion's type of pay-per-view. This made sense to me from a storyline standpoint. Um, and I, I just think it was a given difficult circumstances, and there's a lot more difficult circumstances we're about to talk about. They did a good job there. Uh, we'll move on to the Raw Tag Team Championship, the Street Profits defending against Andrade and Angel Garza. We may have been sick of the repetitiveness of this matchup, but these four totally delivered in this match. Commentary did a great job telling the story. And yeah, I'll Barry Horowitz myself a little bit. It's what I did predict on our show, what we talked about on the Ultimate Preview, which is that without Zelina Vega, Andrade and Garza would have to learn to work together. You saw it right off the bat when they made their entrance together wearing matching gear, right? They're saying, hey, we're a real team. And we're going to work out and, you know, we're going to make it work. Zelina will have to basically rejoin us after the fact. Garza, you saw him counter the frog splash with that absurd top rope Spanish fly taking out Montez Ford. That was a great spot. Unfortunately, I do ultimately think this was supposed to be a title change with Garza part of the finish. The referee, you saw Garza landed on his knee, his left knee, really weird. The referee throws up the X to indicate he's hurt, but no one in the match listened to him. Maybe Andrade possibly didn't understand. I'm not sure, but no one listened to the referee. Everyone just kept going. So suddenly Angela Dawkins gets tagged in, hits a spine buster on Andrade. Andrade kicks out as he should, and the referee counts to three and calls for the bell. You know, there's a lot of mistakes here. The referee should have separated the guys, whispered to them, told them to go to the finish or whatever the case. But I'm not going to kill them for it. Someone was hurt and... You have to end the match. So they did the best they could. Garza tagged out immediately. I hope Garza's okay. It looks like he badly hurt his left knee, though. As uh, one of our listeners, Nicholas Dominic at Dominic 13 he tweeted to us, the tag team division is cursed. Yes, the WWE tag team division, proof is in the pudding right now. It is cursed. Injuries, releases, terrible booking. They don't have any tag teams left in this company. And they just lost, I think, the new team that they were about to put the Raw Tag Team Championships on. Yeah, the finish was weird. I, I, it probably played out the way you said. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, yeah, it, it, when it finishes, you, something went wrong. Probably wasn't supposed to happen, but it just kind of more just like, uh, uh, who knows how Garza is, but are we going to keep running this back? I, I, I don't know. And it, it furthers the idea that they should probably unify these belts because there just is not enough to, to do to work with right now. Yeah, they absolutely need to unify them. And the booking that every I think everyone expected, not just us, was that this would be a unification match on the pay-per-view. They did not go that way. And man, what a mistake. I mean, just this, again, proof is in the pudding. Both tag matches were not, well, this one was good, but it got screwed. The one on the kickoff show, which we'll talk about at the end, the wrestling was fine, but I mean, there was never a chance those titles were changing hands. So, man, they should have just done what everyone expected. And maybe that was a ridiculous expectation that we just all 
booked in our heads and thought WWE was going to do, so we're disappointed they didn't do it. But it just seemed like that was the direction they're going. So it is unfortunate that we're not doing that. I mean, um, may, may, maybe you can still drag this out, do very little with the tag teams, and then try to unify it at Survivor Series. I, I think, you know, it's it's still something you could do if you don't have any long-term plans because there's so little. So let's move on to the United States Championship match. Bobby Lashley defeating Apollo Crews. There's not a lot to say here. This was a well-wrestled match, but it didn't feel special because we've seen the mix of all of these guys in United States Championship matches for what feels like an eternity. I think it's probably been three or four months at this point. Cruz got plenty of offense on Lashley. That was good. Ultimately lost with the hurt lock and tapped out immediately. He's a really strong guy. I don't know why he wouldn't have just... All tap outs in WWE recently seem to be immediate. No one sells them for like... 30 seconds and then taps. This is a situation where Apollo Crews, a really strong guy who was champion for a few months, it would have been nice to see him hang on and then tap out eventually or just go to sleep. I don't know why they had to do it in that way, but uh, hopefully... I, this- I, I think they're trying to get the move over is my guess is why they're having people tap quickly for something like that. But yeah, I, yeah. Just, I hope this is the end of the feud and we can move on because... God, so. Dude, there, there's nowhere to go... But he, from here, like, this is it. I, I have one idea of what they could do. But other than that, this has to be done at this point. Yeah, just let them do something else. Let Apollo Crews and Ricochet, I don't know, become a tag team. I don't know, do do, do something. The Hurt Business stuff, like, we're, we're good. We're, we're done with it. Just well, no, yeah. I, I love the Hurt Business. I, I think Ricochet and, and Apollo Crews have a ton of talent. Just get them away from each other. Yeah, we have to do a separation right now. What I would like to see, if let's make believe the draft doesn't happen, right? What I would really like to see is them use this opportunity to take Mustafa Ali. He's a natural next challenger inside of this storyline. He's friends with those guys, doesn't like the hurt business, he's a true baby face. Separate the other guys, have them go into the tag team division, especially because it's needed right now, like you said. And by the way, why don't you have Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin do that too? Okay, because yep. this division needs people. So if the, you want if you want those guys to, to fight for a number one contendership and have the Hurt Business win and then fight the Street Profits, you guys can go and do that. That's fine. I would take Mustafa Ali. I'd bring him back. I would build him up as a challenger for Bobby Lashley's title. And I think Mustafa Ali is a guy, maybe not even in one month, but maybe in two months, or even if you wanted to, I, I, I hate to say book it three months ahead to December, but if you needed to, Mustafa Ali, I think, is that type of guy as a babyface who, if he took the title off Lashley, would get over huge. That's what I would do, assuming he stays on Raw, assuming they don't add a ton of you know new mid-carders in the draft. Yeah, you could you could try something like that. It looks like Mustafa Ali's just been on main events, so they don't appear to be thinking of doing much. But yeah, I, I, I'd like... I, I would have liked more hurt business on this show, you know, in general. You know, we outside of this match, I don't think there was anything, you know, no hurt business, no retribution. Um outside of the main event, the outside of the two title matches and I guess the opener that we'll get to, um there wasn't a whole lot else that no. really happened on the show. Well, I guess Sasha re- sort of returned, but other than that, there was just not a lot that happened, a lot of yeah, consequences. I, I, I thought it was weird that we didn't get like a a shot of Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman backstage and, and Heyman denying an interview and tearing down a reporter, Jey Uso warming up, maybe even with Jimmy to show that Jimmy was there and, you know, yeah. that had his back. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it didn't feel like anything happened. They did the 24-7 segments, which we'll talk about momentarily, but it just was kind of sloppy a little bit in that way, where it just kind of felt like there needed to be more, and they just gave us matches. And look, I'm not complaining, because we want, on a pay-per-view, a wrestling-heavy show with good matches. And I think, for the most part, we got that. There were hiccups on the show. We've mentioned that some of them. We'll talk a little bit more, and we do have one more awesome match to talk about. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I did think this was missing some of those elements. But let's move on. Raw Women's Championship. Asuka defeating Zelina Vega. This was much better than I expected. In large part because Asuka worked very hard to let Vega get her size, flexibility, and athleticism over. She really allowed Zelina Vega to shine. I thought it was really smart to keep this match largely on the ground and use a lot of counters and reversals. And then Asuka basically, for the finish, reversed the pinning combination into the Asuka lock for the win. This was a really good in-between type of feud for Asuka while she waits for someone like Bianca Belair or Shayna Baszler. Or honestly, I know people hate that I'll say this, but even Anaya Jax, you just someone who's a real threat to take the title from her. So that said, at the end of the match, we got the heel attack by Vega, who refused to shake Asuka's hand. That seems to keep her in this storyline, and it makes me think there might be another match either Monday or maybe a couple weeks down the line because maybe they were going to split up Baszler and Jackson, have them lose the titles, have one of them challenge Asuka, but now they can't do that because they weren't able to defend them on the show. So that made me think we're probably going to get another situation where Vega gets an opportunity. Normally, I would crush WWE if Monday we just get a rematch. In this case, I think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, whether it's Monday or future feud, whatever, you know, match was better than what I expected. But again, there wasn't much going into this because Zelina became the contender like a week or two ago. So, you know, the, 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 the last couple of weeks with the women's raw women's division was a little weird, some weird things going on, Mickey James and and all that stuff. So yeah, it was fine. But again, just kind of generally inconsequential and the way they finished it makes you think another one's coming. All right, so opening the main show, we had Jeff Hardy defending the Intercontinental Championship against AJ Styles and Sami Zayn in a triple threat ladder match. And on SmackDown, we'll talk about SmackDown on Friday leading into this, out of nowhere, they give us a triple threat match with all three guys on the show. And I just didn't understand, I couldn't imagine why they made that decision and what they were doing. This was a hot start to the show for SmackDown. And simultaneously weird booking because the promos were fine, but this these guys put on a banger of a TV match ahead of basically the same match Sunday with the addition of ladders. But even though it was a triple threat match, that was no DQ. So if they want, because it's a triple threat, so if they wanted to use ladders in that match, they could have, but they didn't. So then we see the champion, Jeff Hardy, gets pinned for what I thought was no reason whatsoever on a go-home show before a pay-per-view. To me, Chris, that telegraphed the finish of the match, that Jeff Hardy was going to come out on top because he got pinned and therefore the champion was going to reign supreme at the pay-per-view. Did you think the same coming out of SmackDown? Yeah, my reaction was the same as yours, just to why the heck are we doing this match right before we have it on pay-per-view. Maybe that's just, again, they, they've been doing title matches on SmackDown. They're, I think maybe they're still trying to you know, kind of boost those Fox ratings, but... Um, yeah, with, with, with the way it finished, you knew AJ wasn't winning and kind of made you think Jeff Hardy would would come out on top. Yeah, that's just what I thought. But when we get to the pay-per-view, 
Holy cow, man. What an opening match. This match was fantastic. It really was good shit. Sami Zayn in this thing, he proved he was all the way back with that springboard moonsault to the outside. Hardy took that awesome dive into the upturned ladder that had to hurt his stomach. I've always wondered why they never did that in ladder matches. And I think I saw why, because man, that looked like it really hurt. Uh, Zane also took that really hard bump into the ladder early, completely tore up his back. Hardy got Huluva kicked over the damn barrier. And then Styles threw the stepladder at Sami Zayn that must have really hurt. Uh, There was a great spot with Hardy throwing the ladder into Styles' face as he tried the phenomenal forearm. And then Hardy hitting Zayn with the twist of fate in the middle of the ring. But the most unique moment, and I wrote this at the time, I guess it wasn't really the most unique moment. What I thought the most unique moment of the match would be was Hardy climbing down the ladder on his stomach as Zayn tried to upend it and toss him out of the ring. Hardy ended up getting tossed off the ladder anyway. Then you have Jeff Hardy climb the giant ladder again and hit the most insane swanton bomb into Sami Zayn. Yes, we've seen in the TLC matches him hit it onto stacked tables and people on top of them. But I don't think I've ever seen one that had the impact that this one did. The ladder basically exploded, okay, and made a huge thud. This thing was absolutely insane already at that moment. And then Sami Zayn pulls out some handcuffs and handcuffs Jeff Hardy's ear through the gauge hole to a ladder. And then he handcuffs himself to AJ Styles. Zayn eventually unlocks himself from Styles, locks Styles to the ladder because he had the key in his mouth the entire time, and then climbs up the ladder unimpeded for the win. This was awesome, insane, and inventive. The finish was brilliant, but also left me somewhat disappointed. But I think that was the entire point. You're supposed to hate the finish. You're supposed to hate how Sami Zayn won this because his character is going to look for the easy way out. He's not going to out-wrestle these guys, but he is going to outsmart them. It may have been the best booked finish And I say this, I I wrote this before the main event. In conjunction with the main event, either of them, I would buy an argument for either of them being the best booked finish of the year, period. Any company, it fit the character in terms of what I expected to happen. The right guy won the match. And this thing was as good, dude, of a ladder match as I've ever seen. I am not saying it was the best ladder match that I've ever seen. But if you told me it was the best ladder match you had ever seen, I would not argue with you. You know, we, we've seen so many ladder matches over the many years we've watched wrestling. It's, it's hard to do something new and different and make a ladder match feel fresh outside of doing a crazy bunch of spots jumping off of stuff. This was so creative and fun to watch, especially that finish. You know, we... The, the gauged ear we saw, was it Seamus who did something, Jeff Hardy with that? I don't, it, it came up, or maybe it was Orton stuck something in there. It was I don't Orton. Know. He put a screwdriver yeah, in it. Yeah, so yeah. So they've done, they've tried to do something with it before, and yeah, doing, that. the handcuff was a great spot. Not only do they give you one handcuff, they give you another handcuffing, and, and just, and it's always fun when the heel is smart. He, it's a heelish thing he did, 
but he's not being a weasel. He's being smart. And I know Sammy's done a lot of weaselly stuff before, but it just it feels more impactful yeah. when when the dastardly heel did something that that uh, you know outsmarted you. Uh, yeah, just that was one of the most fun ladder matches I think in a while because I, I gotta say I've, I'm usually not uh, I'm not a huge fan of what ladder matches have become because they do all those spots through tables and it's gotten like it's gotten a bit too violent for me ladder matches I prefer when people are jumping off through tables and there's that crisp sound through a table when mm -hmm. God, that, that's wanton into a ladder when you see a ladder bend break explode it just kind of makes me cringe because it it it, it it feels too real, and I don't. I don't always want my wrestling to feel real, <laughs> in terms of the impact that they're that they're going through. So they got some of that stuff out of the way early, then got really creative with it. You know, throwing the ladder. It, it might have hurt, but it but it was it was a cool spot. We haven't really seen that before. The Jeff Hardy flip you mentioned, and then that whole finish. So just a really fun, well thought out, well executed match. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was. It, it was inventive, and that is what made it stand apart. It felt like we saw a new version of the ladder match, or at least three guys who sat around and took a couple hours and said, how are we going to make this different? How are we going to make people remember this particular ladder match? Because you've seen, you know, the Money in the Bank ladder match, the rest of Money in the Bank was, you know, a, a gimmick, right? But the, the ladder part of it, nothing really happened. The two, the ladder match that we had at WrestleMania for the tag team titles where it was all individuals fighting, it, it was a regular ladder match, pretty much. Like, it, you've seen hundreds of, or dozens probably of ladder matches at this point, and they're formulaic, and it's the guy who tries to climb to the top and at the last second gets caught, or he gets a finger on the briefcase and hits it and it waves in the air. You know, you've seen all these things before. I've never seen a guy climb chest face down on a ladder while someone else is upturning it. I've never yeah. seen a guy dive onto a ladder that's upside down. I have seen the Swanton Bomb before because Jeff's done it a million times, but I've never felt it the way I felt it tonight. I just thought this was incredibly inventive. And it is one of those matches that's going to stand out to me where I will say, you know, there's a couple, the TLC triple threat, certainly with the Hardy Boys, the Dudley Boys, Edge and Christian, Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. This is, it's, uh, I, I hate saying it's in that category because people are going to get upset when I say that. But my point is that it's one of those where people say to me, hey, what's the, what ladder match should I want to really understand what a ladder match is? This joins that type of group. And there's others that are really good and really up there. But this is on like, this might be on the top, I think it's on the top 10 list for top 10 it, ladder matches I've ever seen. It's hard to rank. I'm not going to put it above or necessarily in the same level as some of those you mentioned because there, there were those were a lot of those were spectacles. Oh, I'm saying top ten. I'm not saying number one or two. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, but this was one that you're 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 always going to remember. This one. It was different. It was unique. There was stuff happening. You're like I've never seen that before in a wrestling match, and that's hard to do these days. So hats off to everybody involved. It was really great and an awesome start to the show. Great idea to have this match start Clash of Champions. The kickoff show match, it got pushed to the kickoff show from the main show. Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura defended their titles against Lucha House Party. On SmackDown, we saw Nakamura against Grand Metalik. I never thought I would see that match. It was short, but it was awesome. These guys are great together. Nakamura hit that awesome exploder suplex, followed by the Kinshasa for the win. And then Kalisto didn't come to the rescue afterward. 
which I thought was pretty cool considering the storyline with Lucha House Party. On the show itself, as I said, this got moved. And I think it was actually the right call because this was not a great match. Whereas the Raw Tag Team title match could have had a title change and was great. I mean, not great. It was a very good wrestling match. This one, it was well wrestled, but I didn't care about anything that happened. You knew that Cesaro and Nakamura were going to defend the titles. And, you know, that's really all I have to say about it. They hit the tag team finisher, the swinging Kinshasa. I don't know if that's the name, but that's what I'm calling it. I just don't have much else to say about it. It was totally fine. It was very much a kickoff show match. And I actually thought that Asuka and Zelina Vega was a better pay-per-view match than this was in terms of a match that deserved to be on the main card. Yeah, no, it, it was... Yeah, it was what it was. There wasn't much to it. We kind of knew it was going to happen. All you, all you're hoping for is good wrestling to keep you entertained, and it did what it needed to do. And we'll finish off with the only other title we did not discuss tonight: the 24/7 Championship. You had Drew Gulak beat r Truth for the title, and I think that was maybe the first time I was okay with the roll-up being the finisher because Gulak was surprised <laughs> to see Truth and the referee together, and it kind of just popped in his brain. Well, I should probably take advantage of this. So he does, and he rolls him up from behind. Also, 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 he also he you know worked under Daniel Bryan, so you know he's learning the art of the small package. Yes, for sure. But of course, Drew Gulak, of course, is just as accomplished. Well, not maybe not just as accomplished, but he's up there in terms of you know catch wrestling. But then, of course, as always, r Truth wins the title back from Drew Gulak within the hour. That's an eye roll for me. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm tired of the title. I'm tired of. I love r Truth. Absolutely love r Truth. I am tired of him as 24-7 champion. Do something else with this thing. Um, I'm glad it was defended on the show because they said every title would be. But other than that, this was just ridiculous in my my opinion. Yeah, no, it's just, I don't know why, like, Archie's funny, but, like, you gotta, like, give him two weeks off. Let some other people do some stuff with him, try some things. I don't know, like, I'm just, Archie is funny, but I'm just, I'm kind of getting sick of seeing him because it's the same stuff over and over. I will say... Credit to Drew Gulak. I laughed when he said he won it, basically in memory of Akira Tozawa, who was eaten by a shark. Yeah, I did laugh too. This Monday. So I'm glad that uh, Tozawa getting eaten by a shark remains canon, and hopefully it will be, and and they'll have some explanation when he comes back at some point. I don't know. But uh, no, like I said, when, when I, what I said on Tuesday show, which was, if you're, if this is supposed to be a joke title, you know, it, it, you, if you don't want it to be, it's totally, I totally get that. But if they're going to make it a joke title, like lean into it and do some really, really weird stuff, like the shark thing, or you know, or like it's. But do it well. If you're gonna yeah, do it, do it like well. too. Too much of it is just like our truth's dressed up and he surprised somebody and he roll ups and that's it. Like it's just, it's not, it's not very creative. You know, it. I, yeah. You can be you can be upset if it's a it's a joke teller. You think it should be something else. That's fine. I'm just mostly upset that they're not executing what this should be, which is like you you really got to make this funny and weird, and it just feels like not a lot of efforts put into it. No, I, I agree with that. So let's get out of here talking WWE instant analysis for Clash of Champions or WWE Clash of Champions instant analysis, whichever way. I'm. 32 ounces of beer into this show, and that's not to mention what I had before, so I'll excuse myself for that. Now, normally what I do, Chris, before we get into these shows and before the pay-per-view start on WWE Network or really any company's pay-per-view, I usually send a tweet asking what people's expectations are for the show. 
I forgot to do that this time. Football was going on. I had to put some wagers in. Thank you for the Packers for Sunday Night Football for coming through. Um, but I, I had some stuff to do. Forgot to do that. What I did not forget to do was a post-show poll. And I asked our listeners and everyone that follows us on Twitter, what is your final grade for WWE Clash of Champions? Before I ask you, or before I tell you, I should say, have you looked at this poll? No. Give me a guess. What percentage you think would be in the A and B range, let's say, combined? I'll say, I'll say 60%, so A or B. Okay, so we've done this a lot, right? We've done, we've done many shows at this point. We've been on the air, for lack of a better term, since March. And we've done polls for every pay-per-view. Somehow, this is the highest rated one. Yet. <laughs> okay, we love SummerSlam, right? We loved what we got from Payback. I think both of those we talked about exceeding our expectations. Okay. 88% of respondents Whoa. thought WWE Clash was an A or a B. 28% for A and nearly 60%, 59.5% for B. C got 10.7% and D to F, 1.7%. And this is not a biased audience here. These are people who like WWE, AEW, NXT. When we think shows are sometimes good, we'll get people grading it as a C or lower, you know? Um, usually the D to F range usually gets like 8 9%, and C is usually pretty even with B. So the fact that 88% of respondents thought this was an A or B with 60% thinking it was a B, when candidly, not much happened on this show. Yes, we did see Sami Zayn win the Intercontinental title. But other than that, retain, Taylor, retain the Intercontinental title, win the Intercontinental title. But other than that, there were no title changes on a Clash of Champions pay-per-view besides that. And yes, you're kind of right. Even that one, he didn't really win. He just kind of forced it away from Jeff Hardy, right? So I just found that incredible. What I think it is, dude, is the Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, the ambulance match. I think people felt the way we did where, okay, maybe Orton winning would have been better long term, but it popped them because it was entertaining. All those people showed up and it was really well booked and it was smartly done. And then I think the main event was such an A plus piece of booking that even if you were kind of at that point at like a C plus for the entire show, it raised it like a full letter grade. So that's what the fans thought, Chris. What is your final grade? for WWE Clash Champions. Yeah, I mean, the main event and the finish will have a greater influence on how you feel about a show every time. It, it, is, it is supposed to be the defining moment of the night. And they knocked it out of the park on this one, so you come out feeling good. But as, I, as, as we break down the whole show and think back to everything that happened or didn't happen, I, I give this show... Overall, a B, but without Roman in that in that final match, probably like a C minus. Interesting. Okay, I don't think I would have gone that low. Um, I am hovering between a B plus and a B because I look at it this way: the three most important titles on the show: Universal Championship, WWE Championship, Intercontinental Championship. All three of those matches were bangers. And I think when you open the show with one and you close the show with two, 
that makes you feel really good and everything else in between, you can excuse. I don't think anything on the show was an F, right? On the main no. show. No. So, so if nothing's an F, then you're, and you're trying to average the grades out. And I had an a, the opening match was an A, the main event was an A, and I think the, the Orton and McIntyre match was probably a B. Then I'm not going to get too low with my overall grade because most matches were C's, like the US Championship match and the Raw match and the, the Oscar match. Those were all C's, whether C plus, C minus in that range, right? So I ultimately wind up here with a B plus for the entire show because I do think that Roman Reigns and Jey Uso was such a rising tide and the Intercontinental Championship match was so freaking good that when you average that, it does keep you over there. But I will agree, without that Roman reigns Jay Uso match, I am probably at like a B minus. And I think this improved nearly an entire letter grade, that one match. But what I am impressed with, man, SummerSlam, Payback, Clash of Champions, one, two, three. I think we graded them all somewhere between an A minus and a B. Yeah, I think so. I think the SummerSlam paybacks were both B plus, A minus, A range. So yeah. this is the lowest of the three, but it had the best finish of all the three. Oh, God, yeah. Not even a question. And and it is a finish that people will see online. I don't know what WWE will put on YouTube, but it's going to get millions of views, whatever they do put. They're going to promote it most likely Monday night on Raw, and people will tune in to SmackDown on Friday night to see how the hell they're going to follow this up. And that is the most important thing. You build your your TV shows to get you to the pay-per-view and you send people home from the pay-per-view, forcing them to watch television. And WWE for for Fox, for SmackDown at least, they accomplished that on Sunday night. So that is it for our WWE Clash of Champions Gold Rush Instant Analysis Edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I appreciate all of you for listening to this show either very late Sunday night or super early Monday. Most of you will listen to this before Raw. On Tuesday, we will be back with Getting Over, talking about everything else that happened on SmackDown. There was Matt Riddle match, Alexa Bliss, The Miz, and, and Otis. A lot of stuff happened that we did not talk about on the show. We'll talk about all of that, plus the WWE draft, plus every single thing that happens on Raw Monday night. All of that will be on Tuesday's show, along with a very special interview that the Silver King got over the last week. Thank you to Chris Vanini for joining me tonight. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. But most importantly, follow this show at Getting Overcast. And now that you're done listening, you have no choice. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review and let us know how much you love the show. It has been a long night. WWE Clash of Champions was an exciting show. So exciting that I don't think we can utilize the energy that is the Macho Man Randy Savage to close this thing out. So now, before, before we close out, Adam, though, I need you to do one thing. Ah, I, I, need I was you rolling. To, What's, what you got? I, I, I need you to call me the head of the table. <laughs> I'll, I'll, make, I'll make you this deal. If you figure out a way to get me at some point to watch Star Wars, I will call you. That is how likely it is that I call you the head of the table. Instead, you're my, you are my chief. You are my chief. As long as I'm your chief, as long as I'm everyone who's, who's listening, their chief. But fine, I will call you a choice. Vintage, and you know what? For today's show, I'll call you Big Daddy V as well. We'll give you both. But for Vintage Chris Vanini, it is the Silver King, Adam Silver, the Tribal Chief. 
of the Getting Over Professional Wrestling Podcast. And I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.